Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Mary Bond. Mary studied with Ida Rolf from 1969 to 1972. She's an emeritus movement faculty of the Rolf Institute and has been involved in the development of movement education for SI from the early days of Judith Ashton to the current evolution through the work of Hubert Godard. She's the author of Balancing Your Body, The New Rules of Posture, and Your Body Mandala, Posture and Presence. She's also produced a DVD, Heal Your Posture. Since 2020, Mary has been offering online workshops for SI practitioners and other somatic educators. It's her joy to share her perspective of movement education. Links for her books are in our show notes. In today's conversation, we spoke about Mary's background as a dancer and finding the work of Ida Rolf, Rolfing, and Rolf movement history. Tensegrity and perceptual tensegrity, a body mandala, and how to work with Mary. There's also much more. So with that, let's begin our talk. Okay. Hi, Mary. One thing I want to say, uh, besides thank you for being here, is uh, so one of the reasons I started this podcast also was for me to get to meet people who inspired me a lot. Uh, whether they knew it or not. And uh, you were actually one of the first like names on the list. And I actually, I tried different ways to get to you and it never happened, but luckily Nikki found a way in. So I'm, I'm really grateful. And it's one of the things we'll talk about. I know you have a new book, your body mandala, which we'll talk about, but I remember uh, the new rules of posture was a, requ- I don't know if it was required or a recommended book for our, my rolfing training. And that was such a game changer. In fact, I just, I had a client yesterday who wants to become a rolfer and I recommended that book to him. And because also he was saying he's a pilot, keeps putting a pillow in his lower back. And I was like, uh, 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 Mary Bond, put it in the, you know, in the middle back, you're, you're going to be thankful. And he's like, his mind blew open. So I'm just really grateful to have you on. We, we do have a, some exciting things to talk about, but one, I guess one of the things before we go into like all the stuff that you're doing now what I'm really curious about is what brought you to this work. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I was a dancer. I mean, I, I wasn't really a dancer. I was, I was a dance student. I was getting a degree in choreography at uh, UCLA, University of California at Los Angeles. And, and uh, one of my roommates was getting rolfed. At that time, there were like 12 rolfers in the world. You know, this is 1970 or 69 or something. And my my roommate was like saying, look, my legs are all different, you know. And and I just went, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know. And um, then I noticed that in the ballet class, she was doing double pirouettes. And I knew she couldn't do that. So I went and get me some of that, you know. <laughs> and then, um, you know, but just from various things that went on, I, I went to a demo that Dr. Rolf was giving and I was at loose ends and she inspired me so much. And I, and I kind of finagled my way into a class and I mostly was interested in, in learning to see what she saw in bodies, what she was talking about gravity. You know, I had a, a ballet teacher at the time, Mia Slavenska, and she also talked about gravity. So that intrigued me. So I, anyway, that's what happened, basically. And I, I didn't really intend to become a rolfer. I, I just was trying to learn things, you know. So that's, I'm curious, what were you, besides dancing, because it sounds like dancing was, you, you were not doing it professionally, correct? Oh, was I, was in, I was getting a degree, and I was going to teach. Okay. You know, was gonna so you were like already kind of in the movement world, because I always think it's mm, fascinating. Yeah. Sometimes when we, um, people who become rolfers, it's like this immediate departure and very different than what they um, were originally doing. Yeah, that that has always inspired me. When I used to teach um, the 
used they used to call it Principles Week. I don't know what they call it now, but the kind of lead-in movement week before Unit Two, I think it is. And I would, and people would, you know, I would find out how people got interested in in becoming rolfers, and it just inspired me so much because it was so different from my own kind of. I just kind of wandered in by accident. <laughs> so. So that wander in, though, man, you really you're uh, you're like one of the Rolf <laughs> movement superstars. So and no, I'm not. I just am the one that writes books. <laughs> oh well, you have some. Yeah, well, well no, I'm and, and you lead classes on, online and, and and other stuff. Yeah, it's true, but um, I don't know. I I I really like making sentences. I really like it. You know, it's like. My friends are all retiring and taking up painting and guitar, and I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't seem to figure out what to do with myself. And it turns out I think what I'm doing is I'm still making sentences. You know? I mean, it just tickles me so much when I get one right. And, and I've thought often, you know, it's like if I hadn't accidentally met Dr. Rolf and been interested in movement, what would I write about? You know, would I be a travel writer or would I be an I don't know. You know, I think I would write. And this just happens to be the thing that I'm kind of inspired to share with. I mean, all of my books have been motivated about um, sharing Rolf's ideas and Hubert Godard's ideas in a simple way that could be understood by the general public. Now, I'm I'm not talking to Rolfers, really. I'm trying to talk to people and and inspire them with the things that inspired me because I think I think they're useful bits of information. So and and I've got yeah, feedback from I think, that. You know, people who find the book yeah, in the yeah. library, and, you know, it's like I'm thrilled to pieces. Somebody found. I think my that book. comes. Yeah, I think that comes through. I mean, while we both are offers and we have that view, I think, you know, I haven't actually read Body Mandala yet. It's it's on my Kindle queue, but I've read two, at least two of the other books of yours and articles. And I think like mm-hmm. the new rules of posture is for anybody. I've recommended to people who aren't Rolfers, uh, who just need help in their bodies. And it's mm-hmm. an easy uh, way to do that. The, the you know, uh, without sounding too much of a, of a fanboy, your writing's great. <laughs> so it, 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 it's, you know, you are very good at writing and you're able to, to take these ideas and, and get them out there, which, you know, I, I, I don't want to call you a hero. I think that's a bit like maybe over, but it no, is, you're helping people, no, no. You're, you're helping, yeah, but you help people get into their bodies more, which is in this day of age is really needed as everyone is mm-hmm. on them. And I know we're on our devices talking to each other, but everyone is, so I'm in Dubai right now. This is actually, people won't be able to see this. This is how people walk around. They have their phone in front of them the whole time. And they're just living on their phones when they're doing everything. They're not in their body. They're in this other experience. And so having a book to just even say, hey, read this exercise right here. Try this. I think it's really helpful. I just, um, on a side note about the body mandala, <clears throat> I'm glad it's on Kindle, you know, because otherwise fewer people would be able to see it, but it's really ugly on Kindle. You know, the paper version is really quite elegant and beautiful. So I'll, I'll buy when that you too. Come I'm a, back, I am a book. When you come back. Yeah. I am a book. I, I, I am a book hound. It's just obviously when I'm traveling, Kindles are, are easier. Um, but yeah. yeah. Mary, you mentioned um, two kind of prominent people in the, the Rolf movement world, Ida, obviously Ida Rolf and Hubert Godard. And you mentioned how they inspired you. If there's others, I would love to hear a little bit, and it doesn't have to be quite extensive, but just like what were, what were the, the inspirational nuggets that you got from them? And that's kind of maybe shaped the way you are sharing the information to the general public. Well, Ida, of course, uh, it was about the line, you know, the Rolf line. But um, she also talked briefly, at least in my classes, she briefly talked about Buckminster Fuller and tense 
and the idea of um, that way of organizing structure. But I don't think she put that out publicly so much. First of all, because it was Bucky Fuller's idea and not hers, you know, <laughs> and also because I think she liked the little boy logo, the simplification, simplified, you know, picture of it. And it was easy to pe for people to understand the stack of blocks, right? And, and, and structural elements being out of alignment. But I think more than the line, she saw a coordinative, that the line was a coordination, you know, and she didn't really, I don't think that she talked about that, but she talked about movement and that if people didn't have some kind of homework, that's where Dorothy Nolte and Judith Aston came in to develop you know, the, the movement system for people to practice, to take away <clears throat> with them so that their rolfing would be sustainable because it wasn't magic. You know, it was something she saw that that had to be, I don't know, maybe she wouldn't have liked the word practiced, you know, but she had these exercises she borrowed from someplace else. You know, I can't remember who exactly, but somebody who knows the history um, might remember the names, but there were these patterned exercises that she taught us. And then she taught, of course, Judith and Judith took it and ran with it, you know, and created her own system. But <clears throat> so Ida's vision, I think, was movement oriented. I think she saw that when people got organized and integrated through her system of touch, that they moved more harmoniously. You know, my my picture in my mind's eye is, is always animals in the wild and how there's this synchrony to the way they run across the savanna or whatever. You know, they're, they're in sync. And the human bodies are not like that. They're all higgledy-piggledy, you know, if you think about a crosswalk, right? So anyway, um, then, um, I mean, beyond beyond Rolf herself and her recipe, I think the Rolfing principles are profound. Do you know? I think those those gentlemen, Sultan and Maitland and Salveson, putting together that um, piece of work in the eighties was a really uh, important thing to. Um, provide some kind of foundation for the recipe because the recipe was just paint by the numbers, you know, do this and it works, you know, but it, it really didn't explain how, why, you know, what, what this was all about. If you don't mind me just interrupting for a moment and echoing mm -hmm. that, I 100% feel too the the principles of the 10 series um, or the rolfing work is so important and so can be applied to, to life. I mean, I got certified relatively young. I mean, I did it oh, that's straight right. out of college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and there was a, a time where after my training and I had a short practice in Aspen for a little bit, but then I was like, is this something I want, really want to do? And like, so I had a moment where I wasn't working and, but the principles just kept on coming into ways that I would make decision of like, does this situation offer support or is there closure around my relationship, the importance mm -hmm. of adaptability. And I still hold into those principles when I'm doing non-formalistic sessions, which is kind of the bulk of my work. I mean, I feel like most people who come for a 10 series are students or just kind of like the buzzword, but I find that that really does help guide a beautiful session or mm -hmm. series of sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So um, the principles and then Hubert's work, I mean, the basic sense of it is that perceptual orientation affects the way you move, affects coordination. So for me, that just, was really, really important, that piece. Because 
when I first studied movement, you know, I got movement certified with, with Vivian Jay and Jane Harrington. And it was still kind of a recipe, you know, not exactly a recipe, but it, it didn't have, I mean, forgive me, Jane, but, you know, it didn't have a theoretical foundation. It was just stuff to do. And it worked. It was great, you know. But I guess I like theory, you know. I guess I like foundational theory. So Same, um, same. Yeah. So, and Hubert himself is very charismatic. I mean, at least he was. I haven't seen him for at least a decade or more. Because I know he, he kept on teaching and people would go and, and be with him in Europe. But I felt like his work might continue to expand and go deeper and be more and more sophisticated. But that the bit of it that I had was enough for most people, you know. And that I could, and so the last two books, the, the New Rules of Posture and then Body Mandala, are both really based on what he taught me, both of them. But, you know, framed in, in, in a, uh, I don't know, just kind of a pedestrian way, you know. I don't talk so, so much about tonic. To that because, tonic. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Well, that's what I was going to go to because, um, you're mentioning tensegrity and perceptual tensegrity, and I would love to talk, you know, explore that more. And how is that similar and different than Hubert's tonic function? Okay. Um, okay. So when I was writing your body mandala, <clears throat> what I tried to do, the mandala was like, <clears throat> he talks about, four ways that the person is organized through coordination, through structure, through impression, which is what's coming into you from the world and expression is how you respond to the world. So in a way you could see those as four points around the center, which would be like the entry points in a traditional mandala. And all those points are related. So what you what you sense from the world, uh, what you take in from the world affects how you stand and how you move and how you express yourself. And how you express yourself affects what you are willing to take in. And it also affects your structure and your movement and on around. So it's all interwoven. And I thought that would be the basis for my conversation in this book was to help people, especially um, go deeper than the neurals of posture into the sensations of being oriented to the ground. That's the, you know, the basic two is ground and space and the profound way that we can be oriented or not oriented to the space. So, Andrew, what you said about people walking around with their phones in front of them, you know, everybody is like living in the sagittal plane these days, not just in Dubai, everywhere. We're all just shrinking our consciousness to the size of whatever screen we happen to be looking at. And when we do that, <clears throat> we lose our sense of being present in the space. And when we lose that, our own personal inter interior space shrinks. You get smaller when you do that. You physically compact yourself. Your joints come closer together. Your muscles and fascia become short. You know, you're just a smaller person. And I think it's contributing to more and more kind of closure and exclusivity and less and less ability to, to, look around basically you know yeah so, I, i've never i haven't fully i haven't thought of this but the uh foveal versus focal vision of basically being so fixed on the phone or on the device that there isn't yeah i hadn't actually put that together so, yeah yeah you. so in in classes uh in classes sometimes what i've done at the end is 
you know, I will have taught something all, you know, about space and spatial orientation. And then I'll have people get out their phone and look at their phone. You can really check the phone and feel what they just did with their body, you know, and then practice. Okay, now bring the space back in, find the space behind your body, find the space out to the side, find your internal space. And now look at your phone. You can do it. You just have to decide that you need to do it that way. You know. <laughs> if I, by the way, if I if I look if I look crazy now, all I'm doing is when I'm looking at you is I'm trying to think, look actually in the horizon while staring at no, this, no, no. this iPad. That's, so I don't. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the idea. That's exactly the idea is to is to be in your your room, be in your space, be in your own body, and not lose yourself into this thing that you're looking at. It's one of the things that Hubert used to talk about is how you merge with the other and then you can't have a relationship. There has to be yeah, two and people, I, or it's, right? You merge yeah, with your phone I, and, and just, you're, you're gone. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, you're, and I'm, even now as I'm here and I'm just going wide, I feel so much better. <laughs> I, my chest feels so much more open. I'm actually in my body in the space around me. And I'm just surprised it's taken me so long to even think about that. And knowing this information, talking to people about this in other ways. And, and so like that, that's really helpful. And hopefully people listening can do the same, but just kind of going wide. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. I, I, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's really important. I think that's, that's why it matters. But what I started to tell you is how I got the idea of, perceptual tensegrity and how that's the same really as what you bears talking about. I mean, I think you can see it just from what we just were talking about. Um, but just to, to kind of um, chew on tensegrity a little bit, <clears throat> you know, the um, <clears throat> one of the Rolfing principles is palantonicity from the Greek word that was because Jeff Maitland is a philosopher and he knows things like that, you know, so he came up with that idea, which was a way of indicating balance of opposing forces within the body, which creates more depth, you know, more internal um, space. And that kind of, um, uh, that goes along with Ida's idea of span, or she talked about span within the joints, but from the German word spannung, she, she liked that. So this palantonicity was a way of putting that in as a principle. And I think palantonicity is an aspect of tensegrity, really. And tensegrity is now in the general conversation more and more. So I think personally, we should dump palantonicity. Sorry, Jeff, but I think that tensegrity is a much more, um, a concept that's easier to embrace, at least for me. And um, so it's about, you know, the, the balance between right and left, front and back, up and down, inner and outer, physically, right, structurally. So you can see the body as a tensegrity system. And, you know, it's really inspiring. Um, when you look at those images from Gamberto's book, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Gamberto. You've seen those, right? The endoscopic yeah, yeah. images of fascia. Yeah. yeah. You say, you so say that, it much better than I said, so I'm, I'm not sure the exact pronunciation, but it's good enough. Well, I hope so. But anyway, uh, it just is so beautiful to look at the tensegral organization you know at such a microscopic level and then you think about fuller and fuller talked about how the planets were like the the struts in a tensegrity system being held together by the force of gravity so the universe itself maybe is a tensegrity system so you've got macro and micro and us in the middle so I'm writing about this, all this stuff in your body mandala. And suddenly it occurs to me that the idea of, or this practice really, of 
feeling the weight of yourself and, and feeling your orientation to the ground. And at the same time, opening yourself to the environment, that that is a tensegrity. It's a balance of, impo- of opposing perceptions, really. And that when you do that, you're bigger. So that's how it, it, it just came to me that that was what I was writing about and that it, that it was a thing, but I made it up. So, you know, if you talk to the, the people who are really tensegrity researchers and fascia researchers, they might not agree or they might think it's a cool idea. I don't know. I think I think it goes beautifully with especially with you know with the structural integrative work that so much can be spoken about with just about the body and having the tensegrity balance and and movement and body but often what shapes us is how we're walking in the world how we're viewing the world and when you mention that in our emails with um talking points it obviously it clicked well because you know with my background and you know being fully um educated on tensegrity but when you added the perceptual that in a way kind of felt like it really um encompassed the conscious and the the body and how the importance of the the, the two are necessary if we especially if you want our, you know, if we want our clients to, you know, leave our treatment rooms and go out in the world and really own the work that happened on the table, that there is this idea of, you know, maintaining openness mm-hmm. and being able to, again, with the point of adaptability, we all like the world's getting technology driven. We, we're going to drop into zoning out or getting fixated on our screens but to remember that that doesn't have to be our our position all day long. Like when we're out on a walk, like feeling, you know, going back into feeling your backspace and all around you to unwind whatever zero focus that we might have had with people's work or, I mean, my gosh, I did virtual learning with my kids last year and they're seven. And my kid is like well fully aware of how to operate the computer before I ever oh, thought God. that would be in his life. But so I too, just from kind of my structural and a great background, watched him and be like kind of had to remind him in a way that a seven year old could understand of like you gotta you gotta feel behind you. You gotta you know it's so easy for them to get so pulled into the zooms and all these squares of their classmates who they used to play with and interact with their teacher. They're yeah. just <laughs> so yeah. squared uh, chaos in some ways. But um, yeah, well, here's, I, here's, I just really. Enjoy- I think that's great, Nikki. First of all, you know, blessings on you for being a, a mom at home with zoom school. You know, I just, I feel like that's just been such a uh, difficult thing for for people, you know, everyone. But um, also, since you since you have a kid or kids, um, I I want to share something else with you about this tensegrity notion. Um, and I would love it if you or somebody would take it and run with it in terms of. Uh, finding and finding more ways to work with kids on not losing themselves. Cause I, I, you know, when they grow up married to the screen, that's not a very good way to begin. You know, we at least remember uh, personal relationships, you know, <laughs> but um, so one of the things that, that I was working with in in my own kind of work with myself is the idea of vectors. A vector is um, a movement into space, a trajectory into space. And any point on your body or inside your body could be the initiation point of a vector, of a movement. So I could move the sternal notch 
I could move my left shoulder, you know, I could move my right ear. You know, it's like I could I could create vectors in any on any part of my body to extend myself into space. Right. So it doesn't, you know, it's like it doesn't have to be a movement, but it could be a reaching out into space from my left elbow and my right hip. And as soon as I do that, I have a polarity and I have a different organization. So if you move that into practicing yoga, which is what I did, um, I would have vectors going all over the place. So I kind of envision myself as being inside one of Gamberto's images. You know, like I would be inside this incredible uh, movement of, of fascia going in all directions and changing as I moved. So maybe, you know, you have the central line that you're working with, but you have uh, maybe extend a vector of your, let's say you're in triangle pose or one of those uh, warrior poses, you could extend a knee in one direction and a heel in the other direction, you know, and your crown and your pelvic floor going in opposite directions. And, and it's like, I would just get all these vectors going as I move from pose to pose. So it felt like I really was in a network of space and the space is holding me up and my balance is much better. You know? So it's a way to practice because it's, it's very hard, I think, to just say, open up your space. I mean, we know how that is. And we practice it and we teach it all the time because we're body workers and we love, you know, teaching people that. But I think the ordinary person needs a practice, needs some way to build it into what they do. And, you know, many people do have some kind of either yoga practice or Pilates. It works in Pilates as well. And, um, okay, so I... I actually just wrote a blog about this, my most recent blog post, which came, I think I put it up last week. But um, what happened to me is I've been studying boxing. I have a boxing coach. And uh, I was working on this um, fast bag. It's like a, a, it's like a bladder or a ball. And it, yeah, and it has, it has this, elastic string above to the ceiling and down to the floor. So it moves really unpredictably all over the place. And I was trying to do this combination of jab, cross, you know, jab, cross, jab, jab, cross, or whatever it was. And I was like, so frustrated because the darn thing moves all over the place. And I'm getting more and more focused on getting it right. (laughs) And then suddenly I went, oh, my God open up, you know, find the space, find, find the studio, find the bricks on the wall. And it was totally astounding. I, I was hitting that thing, pop, 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 pop. Like, like it was like some kind of coordination button got turned on. And so then I started doing that with all the other things, kicks and, you know, whatever. And, um, So it's like having that experience in my movement practice could inform the rest of my, you know, when I'm doing the dishes or (laughs) talking to you or whatever, just it's, it's, it's really helpful. So, well, I think that just, you gave a very beautiful example of how, in in a tensegrity model of holding holding balance and opposition in a way that you were able to get precision of hitting the bag by staying big and not laser focused and narrow. Right. Right. And I think, and that's, I mean, that's, sorry. Well, I mean, I'm just, as you're saying that, I was thinking about um, 
I kind of accidentally fell into this. It wasn't something that I thought I would be doing at this stage or age of my life. But again, with the pandemic and everything, I ended up, um, my son and I are doing martial arts. Oh, great. And we have, yeah. So it, we do mostly on it online because um, uh-huh. that's how I got sold onto it. Because I was trying to figure out what can I do active peaks style in this virtual homeschool learning place I was in. But the studio is in Longmont. Um, so it's still not always convenient to get there. And um but we're getting into now we know enough moves that we're getting into the sparring aspect. And I keep on thinking about like, you know, I can get kind of laser focused. I'm wanting to like, you know, certain punches or kicks or whatever, but some of we learn these forms and they're kind of like a martial art dance and it feels good when, even when I'm kind of fumbling and I don't have it right, just, getting into feeling into the dynamics of the movement and like as we're pushing forward getting into a back stance and kind of holding a very spacious balance and how that is important when you know in the event that we might need to take this into actual self-defense or whatnot yeah you have to be aware of like the per your threat and whatever possible threats that could be around you or your threat and your where's your escape Mm-hmm. in holding this this bigger picture and that's going back to what you were just saying with like having success or being able to hit your target it serves you to hold a bigger picture than just being laser and narrow in your focus yeah and that that makes me think of uh, another thing that you used to talk about which is feed back and feed forward Feedback, we know what that is. Feed forward is is the opposite. So in these examples, my feedback was working slowly in my yoga practice and imagining all these sort of invisible suspenders out into the universe, holding my various body points in, in, in alignment. Okay. But that's a slow kind of internal way of working. But what we're talking about in martial arts is speed forward. You take that, you take that feedback out into expression in the world, whereas, which is where you really need it, you know, in fast movement. Can you do it when you have to move fast? And it turns out not only can you do it, you work better <laughs> when you have that spaciousness. So... It's interesting for me to hear because when I first did my yoga training, I don't know where I got the idea for vectors. My, my background, when you were talking earlier about people getting into, you know, revolving from different things, my background was in network engineering. So I think I've always had a scientific mind of sorts. And so I, when I was doing poses at first, it was vector based, but um, very basic you know, maybe like just arms up in this and not thinking, maybe not even thinking three-dimensional, but also not thinking about different parts in, in the same dimension. Uh, and so hearing, hearing, hearing you say this is, is helpful. I, I took a training this summer with, um, with Karen McCose and Karen was doing actually a, a lot of, of that, but Karen is, um, I mean, Kevin and Karen are very, <laughs> I, Kevin can, can, they can Kevin can take all the words to say it, and Karen can do it in two movements and and express the exact same sort of thing. Uh, so doesn't always need the words. There was one of the things where we we're doing the flood of the eagle, and it was very much about you know ankles uh, ankles back, knees forward. There's a lot of that sort of similar vectoring. Through. Yeah, flight of the eagle is just yoga. I forget what pose that is, half moon pose or something. You know, it's it's not, uh, it's, it's sun salutations. The whole thing is yeah, basically yeah. about how do you do yeah. sunset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was nice with the vectors of it. It was a nice way of, of thinking mm-hmm. about it's it. Per- it's perfect. I'm I'm sure that's probably where I picked it up. You know, picked up the way of thinking about it. Chances are good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like where, sometimes you never know. You know, <laughs> where you figured something out or where it started. But it doesn't matter because yeah. we're all working on the same project. You know, which is right. To try to, uh, you know, what did she say, Ida Rolf? You know, something about better human beings or something. You know, that was that was what she wanted. 
I'm still <laughs> like the going 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 back about body mandala. Just the I'm I'm so interested right now. I I spent um spent a, a few years living in in the Himalayas, and so mandalas were a, a part of sort of the life. And I I know that the model of the um, the um, uh, tonic function with that map you're talking about, but I've never thought of it as the mandala. So when you mentioned that before, my mind also is just like, why? I'm, it's very exciting. It's making my whole inside light up because that 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 idea of that. In which way do you come into the mandala? And knowing what I know about mandalas, I'm just very like I'm just very excited for this. So again, a little bit gushing, like oh, but excited by it. Well, it's nice because it, it it also could inform the way you approach a client. You know, it's like um, from which one of those gates do you find entry into, you know, meaningful body conversation with any one client? It could be, you know, for, for some people, it's coordination. For some people, it's structure. For other people, maybe it's not any of those things. Maybe it's their martial arts practice. You know, so there's there's lots of different ways in. And that's why that's why um, Godard's scheme, his that map that he, you know, it's like I remember going into the first class I ever took with him. And that map was on the on a blackboard or something. And I went, oh, my God, I'm in the right place. You know, this is what I was looking for in terms of some kind of theory about movement so yeah and i think just that as thinking about myself which is what i do a lot um you know i sometimes get stuck you know say like i just kind of every client is different but maybe i I might sort of approach it from the same way and i'm just thinking of having having this as as another resource of of when someone comes in what you know what feels like the right way to go and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. giving an option even of and so i'm not just coming in as that but of, of stepping back a bit and just having more options uh, instead of falling into patterns that, that i can do because i'm a human being oh yes that that is part of the whole thing i was thinking about um teaching movement <clears throat> and that um uh, one of the most important things I think in any any therapeutic situation, rolfing movement psychotherapy, whatever it is, is rapport, right? Rapport with the client. But I think that rapport includes your relationship with yourself on that particular day, in that you know, in that in that moment. So it includes what interests you on that day. And your mood on that day and your outlook, because those are all lenses through which you see the client. And I think that's okay, you know, because it is about a relationship and it's about you trusting yourself and the client, you know, trusting you too. But I, I think it, we don't have to always approach any given problem the same way, you know. Because we might not be in the mood to do this or that on that day, but we might be more interested in something else. And I sort of feel like, well, there is a more kind of cosmic organization that we're part of. And it's all right to trust yourself. It's my two cents. Well, I think that's a great two cents because I, like I said, being in Boulder, I get a lot of students who are going through the training who need to meet their, their Rolf movement required sessions outside of the classroom. And, and because they need to do this before they advance to the, the, the phase two, phase three, there's still a lot of confusion of what Rolf movement is. So a lot of times mm-hmm. they come in not even knowing what to expect or very unclear what it is. And I think, that might be a product of a little bit what you had mentioned. Cause I, I, I can relate to what you said about when with training with Jan um, or Jane, that um, while the experientials were very impactful and very right. great, it was hard to, to, 
to teach that and be like, why, especially when you're coming in from, when you're mm-hmm. in, going through the training, you're learning the 10 series, which is so like, all right, this is what it is. This is the theme. This is their territory. And then this is how you progress. So holding those, those two contrasts. And so, um, so helping students, I, I don't know where, cause I feel like I've been so immersed in so much wealth movement that, um, I think my success is just to show them that you can create structural change through movement and just kind of let that be their takeaway. And then however way Mm -hmm. they want to maybe continue their education, if they actually do want to go into Rolf movement, then they, then they have, at least they feel empowered that change can happen through movement and it doesn't have to always be practitioner creates a change that you're, that our job is to educate and to empower our clients. And I think that's, what's beautiful about Rolf movement is it's such great homework and it really helps move along the, the changes. And, um, but it is, that's why I was kind of going back into, because I think right now in the Rolf movement world, there's a lot of buzz around the tonic function. And what is that? And I don't, I think we kind of touched on it a little bit in the, in just a moment ago, but do you have any kind of definitive definition of how of who bears influence of the tensegrity in the tonic models? Um, I think that um, <clears throat> tonic function. The, the the simplest image for me is that <clears throat> the back line of the body, the postural muscles hold back from the rest of the body being able to express itself. So it's whatever is the tonic, uh, the tonic function part of the body prevents the rest of the body from being free. So what movement, what the movement education piece is about is um, finding ways through, I think, sensory input to encourage or invite the tonic muscles to let go. Okay. So if the tonic muscles can release their grip on the person's body, then the person can be more free to be tensegrally or organized. Does that make sense? So they're really, they're really all. That makes a lot of sense. They're really all part of, it's all part of the same thing. That mandala image is basically a a picture, a map of improving tonic function and making the tonic function more adaptable, if you will, because there's their adaptability principle. And part of that is one of the ways that you release those tonic muscles is by improving the person's relationship to the ground and to the space. So people who are more spatially oriented are tonically held up and people who are more ground oriented are tonically held down. So that you can see that in the way they move. So for each person you want to in, in to share experiences that give them the opposite pole, which then improves their Tensegral organization. Thank you for that. And um, I would like to share or say something to say if I'm understanding it correctly, and if I and if not, please do correct me. And also for the sake of some listeners, that when we're talking about tonic, we're kind of talking about, and it's, this isn't totally true through the whole entire body, but the tonic is a representation of the smaller muscles that are primarily responsible for stability Mm -hmm. and that what this tonic function model is encouraging is don't abandon the fact that we need these muscles to for stability, but we don't need to necessarily be rigid that there's even in these muscles that offer stability because of the tensegrity capability, we can still be, spacious even in a moment that we may need to collapse in a in a fetal position or arch or curl 
that there's a way to do it with with openness, even when we're shrinking? No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I think there's a time to be really crunched down into the ground and a time to be ex- escaping into the space. You know, and sometimes we need to do one or the other. We need to He used to say, "You can you stand and fight or do you run away?" And there are times for both of those things. There are times to be uh, either one or the other. The thing is to be adaptable, which would be that the tonic muscles are able to serve you in the way that's appropriate in that moment, whatever it is. So I don't think it's about going around being spacious and open all the time. I think that would be kind of unrealistic in the world, you know, but to be able to be reopen. after periods when we have to close. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to ask Hubert if he thinks that's correct, but that's that's what I I make of it. I've I've emailed him. We haven't got him on on, yet on the talk, but we'll see. Uh, There is also something to do with the the tonic and the phasic having to do with uh, slow twitch and uh, fast twitch. There's there's more of a physiological, but we don't have to go into that because that's not my specialty. Yeah, it's not mine either. You know, it's yeah. not mine. But, but I think the general idea that we, I mean, we've got kind of the general idea of it here, and and it's it's profound. You know, even if you don't understand all the physiology and biology and neurology of it, and I think sometimes people get um, seduced by the the kind of. Uh, intellectual interestingness of all that and and don't and don't just um and and feel like if they don't understand everything about the twitches you know (laughs) that (laughs) that they can't you know go ahead and be practical about it but i don't understand all that stuff i've read it a million times and it just goes right through one ear and out the other but i think i pretty much get the basic idea in a way that is useful on the, for the ordinary person. Sure. You, you may not cognitively grasp it, but you embody it. And then to some extent, that's more valuable. Well, I don't know. But I made, <laughs> so, a, I made, a, I made a list for you guys because I, I thought, you know, yeah. this, this, this question of what is Rolfing movement uh, yes. comes up. It comes up. So I made a list of what it is. Would you like to hear it? I would love oh, it. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> okay. Do, we, First do, do all, we need a drum roll? Do we need a drum roll for Mary Bond's, uh <laughs> So I think it, what it is, is it's the Rolfing Principle. It's anything that serves the Rolfing Principles. Okay. Um, and it's Hubert's ideas about the perceptual organization affects coordination. And then there were some structural exercises that Iderolf borrowed, you know, the toes up, foot up, all those little hinge movements. They're useful, they're really useful. And then there's number four is interventions that were developed by various movement faculty collaborating with each other over the years. And there were all kinds of things, you know, there were table work and there was something called jostling, I think at one point where you sort of jiggled people. I never um, experienced that, but I understand how that could serve the goal of the principles and by bringing sensation into the body, which is part of Hubert's teaching, then it serves to uh, service the tonic function. Right. So I think also we borrow from other modalities. That's my fifth point. Uh, Ida certainly studied yoga, and part of her whole idea of spanung had to do with the yoga idea of opening the joints. Uh, I borrow from Pilates because sometimes I think. Um, Historically, structural integration has been about releasing tension, 
but that many imbalances have to be corrected by strengthening underused structures. So sometimes I think we need to strengthen and tone something rather than help it release. And then, um, so I think we could borrow from Tai Chi, we could borrow from Alexander Feldenkrais, as long as it serves the Rothling principles, right? And then there's number six is the practitioner creativity. You make stuff up in the moment because you see what somebody doesn't feel or you see what they don't understand and you think, I wonder if this would work. Let's try it. And you just do. And sometimes it works. And then it becomes a, then it becomes a technique because it worked, right? <laughs> And then that's, that's my think, favorite. That's my favorite part of any session is like right, when I do right. something and I have no idea why and it works. Right. Right. And the key, my, my last point is that uh, we work to integrate these changes into the client's culture and their daily life. And, and really, uh, if, if we don't do that, we haven't closed. We haven't done closure. We haven't obeyed that principle. So that's what I think Rolfing movement is. That is a very thorough and all-encompassing explanation. <laughs> it's lovely because we've had quite a few other Rolf movement uh, teachers, pioneers, and to help bring understanding to what Rolf movement is. <clears throat> And I think you really captured how it there is it's quite diverse, but there is there is a structure, there's a line oh. to it. Yeah. So speaking of I, I think almost anything could be rolfing movement. I mean, you could teach yes. kettle a kettlebell workout and it would be rolfing movement if you did it right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Nikki might do that. Nikki, you do kettlebell. <laughs> Well, I do. And so the funny thing is, is with borrowing, I, I, you know, I, I was definitely really inspired by Rolf movement, hence why I wanted to do the dual certification and coming out of it as much as I knew it was impactful. I did struggle with trying to teach it and had already been a student of Pilates, yoga, a bunch of other mind body movement modalities. I um, went and furthered my education by getting certified in a lot of these because that's what I wanted. I wanted a hefty, hefty tool bag to start applying some of these um, Rolf movement or movement to support the structural work that was happening on the table. So, um, so I'm really big a borrowing. And um, but one thing that I've been borrowing that I would love to pick your brain a little bit about is I borrow from you is the one that I picked up from the. Um, supple spine workshop that you did not too long ago because I've been doing it with lots of people and it really is clicking for them on um, feeling into contralateral movement or the rotations that happen with walking. And so mm -hmm. that exercise that you had us do where we're drop just like micro weight, micro attention into the heel of one mm -hmm. foot and then on the other foot, dropping weight into the front of the foot and how that on a very subtle level, but able to feel it, how that starts to put us in just with that slight weight differentiation puts a rotation in. Mm -hmm. Where, how did you come up with that? Was that a borrow? <laughs> did you? Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely borrowed that. And I think I borrowed it from somebody who borrowed it from somebody else, you know? I think, and I, you know, honestly, I don't know for sure, but I co-taught a movement uh, training with Ashwan Xiao, who I don't think teaches for us anymore. She's in Australia. And Ashwan taught that in the class. Not exactly that way, but, you know, basically that idea of, of uh, contralaterality coming up through the feet. And I think she probably got it from Monica Kaspari, is my guess, because they were close. And I think Monica probably got it from Iber, but we can't ask her because she's passed away. But, you know, it, it feels like part of that whole um, 
um, I don't know, library of, of sensory input. Because that's what that is. It's bringing the impression in so that you can find it in your the expression of your walking. Right? You may have noticed I stood up for that because I, I want to try it when you were talking. It's really interesting because I was walking today and, and I realized I have this twist in my, I'm rotated to my right. And actually just standing and playing with that just by, it's helping, it's helping me figure out how I can actually untwist my spine. So I'm going to now play with that in various different ways in the next few days or weeks and figure some stuff to help me. So I'm just grateful for that. And then actually it leads me into something that we want to talk about, which I think is really a good lead in, which is how do people work with you now? Oh, well, I'm, I'm pretty much doing online work. Um, I'm coaching online. I have, um, uh, I, on my website, healyourposture.com is my website. And it says work with Mary and there's a drop down and you can coach, you know, personal coaching for yourself. Or I also have a mentoring program so I could mentor people, SI practitioners or other people. And, um, and then I'm teaching some online classes. Um, those are also on the website. I'm, I do it just a couple times a year. But that's what Nikki was talking about. She took the articulate spine class in in August. And I'm slowly but surely going to edit those uh, recordings of Zoom and um, try to, you know, make them look a little more smooth. (laughs) And (laughs) Zoom is not always conducive to, um, especially if you're trying to use PowerPoint or something. The pictures don't always go up, you know, seamlessly. (laughs) But anyway, we're editing the glitches out. And those little by little, those workshops will all be available for purchase at a big discount. Um, But yeah, so so I'm I'm teaching these workshops. Um, I'm, I'm really motivated to share all these ideas as broadly as I can. I think they're too important and too uh, uh, helpful to keep them within the structural integration community. I think that's just silly. And so most of the people actually in my classes have been not structural integrators. They've been Pilates and yoga and Rosen method and chiropractors and I don't know, all kinds of people. And yet uh, the, the Rolfers who, who did sign up found them useful too so but but my my wish is to same thing with the books you know i'm trying to to share these ideas with um people who can use them because otherwise not enough people you know not enough people get roughed you know a a minuscule amount of people get roughed but but the somatic education field is I think burgeoning, and I think it's in response to this sagittal plane that we're all living in. You know, I think that the the notion of embodiment uh, is a, is a desperate <laughs> a desperate need that people who have a shred of consciousness can recognize in in the world we live in. So anyway, that. Um, that's what I'm doing. That's great. And I think that's a great place for us to also wrap up. I, I'm really, really grateful for this, uh, your time, this information. I So I, it's going to be hard to go to sleep because I have so much going on right now that I'm really excited about that I just picked up from today. And I'm excited for all the people who will listen once I edit this. We will share your, your links to, to your books and to your website. And, Thank you. and to other, I'm just really grateful for your time and your knowledge and, and all of your time that you, you've dedicated to this, this art, you, um, you've made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And that's great. Well, thanks for saying Yes. That. I also feel very grateful. Like I said earlier on, I've known about you. I have dialed in on the various offerings that you've made available on YouTube and all that. 
And I, I do believe, I mean, in my opinion, you are a Rolf Moomin superstar because you have the skill to just like what you were just saying of offering this to the general public, that you're able to take this information and really share it beyond just the, the structural integrators that want to nerd out and who already have a language around this, that right. you have, uh, I mean, and I, I do believe that's a, a, a superstar skill of to be able to take this information and, um, and inspire just general, general people to want to move differently and, and encourage that and explain why the benefits for that is. So, um, so it's a real honor to, to have this virtual meet and conversation. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to be in a conversation. It's been very fun. So go to sleep now, Andrew. You can put it all aside. It, it, you can listen to the thing, you know, tomorrow. It'll still be there. <laughs> I will edit it in the weeks to come. Uh, but before okay. I go to bed, I have to do the most, the most important thing I have to do is to call my wife. Okay. Do that. <laughs> but but thank, thank you so much, Mary. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye, you guys. Yeah, thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Mary and read her blog at healyourposture.com or reach her directly at mary at healyourposture.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.